Hello and welcome to the Global Custodian Podcast. My name is John Baker, I'm the Head of Digital for Global Custodian and I'm joined today by the usual suspects, John Watkins, Editor of Global Custodian and our staff writer Paul Walsh. And we've also got a special guest today, it's John O'Hara, CEO and Co-Founder of Task Size. Hi guys. Good morning, John. Good morning, John. Good morning, guys. Um, so we, did, we, we don't have a name for the podcast yet, John, if, if we have any suggestions? No, but I've thought of a, a tagline, mm. GC Podcasts, gotta catch them all. I don't think that's <laughs> the yeah. easiest way to be popular leech off the popularity of others exactly okay <laughs> that's topical well, well we'll have a think about that one anyway um, moving swiftly on uh, as usual we're going to start with a little bit of a roundup of this week's news from Paul Thank you, John. Uh, in a sort of very technology-themed news review this week, because, of course, uh, London FinTech Week is happening just around the corner. And John's here. And John's here, of course. Um, so in kind of a few news alerts that we've had from FinTech Weeks, FinTech startups will apparently face new data challenges following the UK's decision to leave the European Union. Increased cyber attacks may lead wealth managers to have a more innovative approach to FinTech, whereas historically they were more passive. Away from technology, ESMA has advised uh, on non-EU countries looking for AI FMD passports and has notably shunned the Cayman Islands. Uh, the European Securities and Markets Authority again will force hedge funds to verify their OTC derivatives transactions independently. And finally, settlements will be hard to solve using blockchain technology according to one industry expert. Uh, on that note, I'd just like to bring John in here. now. In the industry, we hear a lot about blockchain technology, of course, what it can be applied to, whether it can be a silver bullet that will completely revolutionize technology. And this latest story got our readers quite interested. So what are your thoughts on that kind of angle about settlements and blockchain? Uh, I, I think blockchain has always been a really interesting technology because it's it embodies the dream of having a front office without a back office, which is what the front office really like. You, know, you want a, a completely automated bank. Um, and blockchain holds the promise of, well, if we can get rid of some of the central authorities, if we can integrate front to back the complete processing of every aspect of a transaction, so when the trade's made, the rest of it just flows through. And if we can get rid of any central authorities involved, then it becomes much easier to manage one's own business. So the, the seductiveness of blockchain is there. And from my own past in doing things like FPML and ISO 2022, you know, this industry has a really strong track record of doing fantastic technology. Uh, so the seduction of the blockchain is, is very real. So, John, I think you know, we've uh, skipped ahead a bit there. We'd love to hear just a bit more about yourself and the yeah. task guys uh, as a company. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, so I'm John O'Hara. I'm CEO and co-founder of Task Guys. And very unlike blockchain, we are essentially, a, we have a task management utility and it helps the people in back office operations, which given the sentence I just said, is seems to be, a, why am I focusing on that market? And uh, we're focused there because they're, they're quite unserved by technology with all this quest to automate the front, the, the whole banking front to back. But we noticed that uh, for my 20 years in banking, people seem to be always part of the equation, always part of the equation, and stubbornly so in operations. And we thought, well, we'll look the other way. Let's not try and automate people out of the equation let's make them more effective. So when the automatic machinery of banking breaks, which it seems to do with frustrating regularity, uh, and that's, I think, part of the, the, the reason for publications like us and us talking all this time, uh, when people step in to put it right, to make that whole process much more efficient. And uh, we think we've got something really interesting. Our investor is Euroclear, uh, which we think gives us a, a degree of credibility in the market as well as neutrality. 
and uh, we're just at the point now where we're bringing the offering to market and we're piloting. So right. very inter- very exciting time for us. Yeah. So in a you know in an age where technology might be replacing people, you're kind of arming arming people and kind of absolutely the trend of it. Well, uh, I wish I, I I'm kind of like um, Paul on the road to Damascus. I spent my entire life persecuting operations and uh, trying to automate banking over the last 23 years. I mean, really, I've got, you know, worked on FPML, which helped automate derivatives. It's used today. Invented something called AMQP, which is used by Microsoft, the U.S. government, and a whole bunch of banks. All automation-centric. But that whole time, the number of automation, the number of people in banking has stayed roughly the same. So we're doing something wrong. And blockchain, this, this is interesting because they say about computers, garbage in, garbage out. We're very good at putting garbage in. And, and I don't think the fundamental with blockchain is what's lovely technology. I don't think it solves the fundamental problem of putting high quality data in at the start of the process and keeping it all synchronized. That just keeps going wrong in our industry. That is why there are tens of thousands of people working in operations. And that's why we have to help do something to help. One of the things that, that I sort of heard, particularly recently, I think now that the sort of initial uh, sheen has sort of worn off blockchain somewhat, is that, uh, you know, there's lots of sort of big promises being made about what it can do and, and how it can transform the industry. But the feeling seems to be now more that that is a long way away. It's a huge task to actually fully automate and, and have blockchain running, you know, almost your entire sort of back office function. And really what we should be doing now is focusing on those like smaller wins where you can deploy it in one particular area and, and gain something out of that rather than trying to think of it as this huge all-encompassing thing. I completely agree. Reinvent your organization one bit at a time. Peel off parts you can succeed with. Uh, you, you, you look at an environment where with revenues down 30% this year, that's a very widely publicized number. The banks are, are and, and financial services are very desperate to compress their costs. They would love to start again from fresh. You know, it'd be fantastic to have shiny new infrastructure. But the reality of the situation is that we've got a terrible track record as an industry in implementing change of that size. And when it comes to cooperating as firms, we're almost even worse. Uh, I think, think back to Fix. If you remember Fix, one of the, yeah. the crowning glories of our industry, you know, it took 10 years for Fix to come really popular. And that was, you know, where people were motivated to trade electronically and do HFT, which all depended on Fix. Here we've got something that's essentially saying, we'll fix stuff in post-trade, where the motivations are lower. The desire to make a big spend is lower. So I think, yes, whilst it's seductive and attractive and the dream is there, you know, it's a silver, it really is a silver bullet, this thing. Uh, I think that, uh, we'll do, look to our history. I, I don't see anything else changing except perhaps the cost pressure. But other than that, our project delivery ability as an industry has been left something to be desired. Amazing how many things take 10 years. You talked about T2S mm. the other day, we had in 2006 the idea, now we're doing it this year, a lot of the regulation, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, whatnot. Yeah. And, and even, even T2S, which in, I mean, from my own personal perspective is, is kind of Europe creating the same sort of securities background as North America had. So we're kind of copying a pattern mm. and doing something that's been done before, you know, it's at scale. But even, even that has taken 10 years when we kind of had a pattern to copy. So I, I completely agree. It's, it's, it, these big challenges for us are, are big challenges. And going after small things, making little changes that you can definitely get something back from, see a result from your investment, 
Uh, and I see people writing about that more and more these days. I saw an article earlier in the, in the year where someone was, I, I don't know if I can talk about their publications. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say no for this point, but talking about disassembling a bank and putting it back together again with new pieces. And that's where I think fintech can play a really interesting part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think fintech can come to banks with sort of point solutions and bring retail experiences and millennial experiences, you know, cloud experiences into banking. Uh, a little bit at a time. Um, so th- th- I think that harmony between fintech and banking is, is going to be where a lot of the successes come from. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Paul, you were saying about the fintech where you could have a five-day conference in London mm-hmm. or to do with, with fintech. I mean, it's, it's uh, people are asking us to write, write about it. Mm-hmm. The amount of hits we get every time we put something about fintech or blockchain is, is incredible mm-hmm. on the story. So, Paul, what, yeah, John was talking about millennials mm-hmm. and, and fintech yes. there. Was, was fintech week just... Um, crawling with, with people in hoodies and trousers. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think my idea of uh, going to fintech, kind of dressed in casual clothes, was not wearing a tie, but I was <laughs> I was still rather overdressed for the occasion. Um, what I found interesting about fintech from the panels I was going to, there were a lot of industries there. I mentioned briefly in the news review, you have take wealth management, which previously has had a reputation for being traditional and in many ways just completely out of date. Now a lot of things are happening within that industry that's forcing their hands to adopt fintech, cybersecurity being kind of a more prevalent one because a wealth manager, as a panelist was saying yesterday, a wealth manager is not going to want to read about a cyber attack and think that exactly could happen to me and they will be forced to do that. So would you agree with that, John? Would you say that the industry is becoming more fintech based because of sort of bad things happening? <laughs> bad things happening, <laughs> forced to react. Yeah. I think the cybersecurity one's worth its own, its own podcast all by itself. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's certainly, um, if you, if you buy into the idea of everything as a service, and I think one of the things we want to talk about is, is what are the trends in technology and everything's a service. People talk about Uberizing everything, right? Um, yeah, that, that, that clearly is a much better way to work. But of course, with that level of connecting everything together and we connect everything over the internet, immediately these are all just packets going back and forward. If I can craft the right sequence of bits, I can get straight into your network. That's the, the truth of it. Um, and that's going to make everyone worry. So we're, we're not going to give away the cost benefits. We're not going to give away the usability benefits. We're not going to give away fantastic client satisfaction, fantastic ways of changing the industry. But at the same time, there's this big boogeyman mm. in the room of security. So yes, uh, fin, uh, FinTech and the focus on security, absolutely completely deserving of the industry's full attention. Uh, it's almost, you know, half of everything is, is that. Uh, I think it's interesting to think of fintech in, in finance, because my own view with that is that uh, I don't think you'll see the disruption happening, uh, except with direct settlement systems. A lot of fintechs depend on the legacy infrastructure. They put a smooth veneer around the outside because they can't, frankly, afford the depth of investment required to replace all of that stuff. But I'd really love to see if there were, were fintech firms that could actually go after some of the heart of, of the infrastructure of banking and modernize it. But I've, I've not seen many people doing that yet. Will that come, do you think? Will fintech be at the heart of these in, in the near future? Uh, there's definitely um, some very big projects happening. That, you know, The likes of Broadridge and Accenture and, and FIS are are. are repeating the mantra of give us let us run your bank for you and and banks are at the point where where they would never have contemplated that in the past they're now completely serious about contemplating that, yeah. that idea and if i could draw lines i don't want to 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 say about about those firms in, in particular 
But it's always been the case of, can you outsource the whole bank? Can you get rid of the whole problem? And that's the challenge. If you outsource half of it or a third of it, you're still left with another half or third, which has the same overhead and costs and risks and challenges and, and expertise demands that you had before. So that they, uh, you know, we have to move forward. They want to move forward. We have to industrialize banking, but it's almost an untractable challenge, which brings us back to just peel a bit off and make it better because we know we can do that. Uh, John, talk about some other trends you're seeing in, in technology at the moment. Anything, uh, I think that the micro, yeah, the, the, the micro trends are, as I might use this word, uberization earlier. And it is this idea that you can turn anything into a service. And what the, the core of it is essentially, if I can do one thing well, why wouldn't I be the only company in the world that does that one thing? You know, I can scale and scale and scale and scale until I provide it. Facebook for everything, essentially, you know. So Facebook have commanded social networks. Uber is trying to do that with, with vehicles. And of course, you've got Carhu coming to try and challenge them, which is a very <laughs> interesting, different way of doing that. And you see the same things happening in financial services. Um, so financial services are actually better at this. This is essentially the entire nature of financial services. It's always been to compete with finance. And now it's been taken into a technology realm. But... Um, you will see companies trying to grab large uh, network businesses and and dominate them. Now, for finance, what's different with between finance and other industries is in finance, that's actually not acceptable. People don't like the idea of there being a, a lock put on how money flows around the world. So we're all, I, my belief is that we're always going to have to have uh, interoperability and openness and a degree of ecumenical behavior for anything to take off. I think anything that tries to get a lock on the entire industry and in finance isn't going to work, but that's not going to stop people trying. So you're going to see over and over again across different uh, segments where people are trying to make these huge land grabs for, you know, I think Uber's now started trying to deliver food and deliver food. It's a very, very strange time. So Lots of buzzwords in there. Uberization, <laughs> interoperability, blockchain, millennials, great. Yeah, so and of course, mobile, mobile by default. I remember uh, a long time ago hearing the stats uh, that uh, at some point there'd be more people typing on glass than typing on keyboards. That's think, in the well, it's not. It's, it's happened already. Right? Really? Yeah. I hate typing on glass. But everybody's <laughs> doing it. Everybody's typing on glass, and yeah. everything has moved to mobile first. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because my my industry, which is essentially banking operations, is is definitely not in that situation. These people are in call center environments. There are thousands of people making making things happen. They're still in a traditional environment. Mm. So I, my business doesn't doesn't have to support mobile first. But everything else, uh, anything that's client facing really has to have a mobile solution and uh, and that again gets back to security yeah. and how do you know the person is really the person on the end of the link you go back to um, the, the, that security question is a fingerprint good enough uh, well apparently not is a device good enough is a, is a token good enough and uh, you, you heard recently about the, the alleged compromise of Swift network which wasn't a compromise of Swift at all it was someone had got into a bank and, and just infiltrated the gateway that sent the message on Swift and mm-hmm. caused a large transfer to happen. I think that that sort of, um, that sort of vulnerability is, is quite widespread. And uh, back to your security point earlier, mm-hmm. if, if there was an area that outside fintech or outside making everything into a network service, it's absolutely security. Did you, you guys were at NEMA mm-hmm. in Croatia this year. Did you catch the ethical hacker speaking? So, 
I was probably preparing for a talk. I was probably talking to you, Paul. <laughs> it was me all along. <laughs> I think England Wales might have been on at the same time, but Possibly. I caught up with the ethical hacker afterwards, and he was just explaining that people are really the weakest link in, in all these organisations. And he's got a famous story of kind of walking into uh, a big financial institution in a Domino's outfit and kind of gaining access. So. so. There's a book called there's a book on hacking. I've actually bought it for myself. You've got to know your enemy, and you're just reading through this thing, going, "Oh my goodness!" You know, it is just having the confidence to be part of the furniture. Just walk in there, plug a small device in, hide it, exfiltrate information very, very slowly. They they don't even know you're there, and they make it sound easy. So it's a huge concern for everybody. And you're right that the people are the weakest link. Um, I'm afraid we are rapidly running out of time. Um, but John, I've got uh, plugs again. Obviously, yeah, I'm going to make it really quick. You okay. can time it here. Uh, so there's one more week to fill in the Women in Hedge Fund Operations Survey, which we already had some great results from. But please, um, you know, help us uh, help us fill that in and get some interesting results for a feature. Um, we just this week put up a our interview with the State Street CEO Jay Hooley, mm. conducted by myself. And I think it reads great, if I may say so. Thank you. We all agree about that. Good. <laughs> um, presented in a very new way for Global Custodians, so check that out. Also, our New York Awards registration and sponsorship opportunities are also now available. Um, have a look on the website, and there's some contact details if you're interested in that. October 20th, that is. Yep. And also, just finally, if you're interested in being in the show, like John was today, then, then get in touch with us and, and let us know. We, we do this weekly, so yeah, brilliant. It's been a real pleasure being with you today. Fantastic, thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks, John. thanks for your time, Joe. Uh, well, I'm afraid that is all that we have time for. Uh, so uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>